0: All right, my friends, welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. Yes, sir, I'm CVV Chris Van Fleet. Hope all is well in your world. Thank you for joining us in this one. If you listen to the show a lot, you know that something we talk about with different guests of all walks of life, actors, athletes, comedians, wrestlers, we talk about passion and waking up every day excited to get to go to work. Not to have to go to work, to get to go to work. And I fully understand that maybe that can't be the case for everybody. But what if you could make a little extra money on the side doing something you enjoy with a side hustle? That's where today's guest, Travis King, comes into the picture. I mean, in a nutshell, he didn't like his corporate job. He didn't like being stuck in that rat race. So he found a side hustle that eventually has become his main hustle, his main job, and he wants to help other people do the same thing. So when you're done with this episode, go check out his website, travisking.com, to find out even more information about him. But before we dive into this, Goofy Fernandez 200 you're awesome. Thank you for leaving this review on Apple Podcasts. It says, Beast! Chris Van Fleet. Chris, Chris Van Fleet. The mecca of interviews. Thank you so much for the kind words. And I yeah, you, know, you didn't say it, but I assumed you wrote it like the theme to the elite, Chris Van Vliet, Chris, Chris Van Vliet. So thank you for that. I'll keep reading one review out on every single episode. It's my way to say thank you for being on this journey with me. We're at like almost 2,600 reviews on Apple Podcasts, more than 1,100 ratings on Spotify. So you guys are awesome. Appreciate you. Let's dive into this. Please welcome Travis King. (laughs) Travis, your shirt—it's out of office. Is that what this says? Out of office. Yep. So fitting. It's so, it's so fitting for a lot of what we're going to be talking about here today. Because, look, I think there's a lot of people who uh, are in these jobs that are office jobs, and I feel like they see no end, and they're like, "Man, I wish there was something I could do every day that I either liked or that was just kind of happening on the side and was making me money." And uh, I think that you're the perfect person to talk to about this.
2: Yeah, I have been there, and I've, I have, um, you know. I think that the office, watching the show, the office, right, that was one of those things that got me by. So like that's the irony there of like sitting at work, watching the office to get through the day, you know, at the office, right at your desk. So yeah, I would agree there's there's probably like a a massive amount of listeners that are that are either unfulfilled or unengaged at their current
0: nine to five, right. Yeah, there's something about office culture that I just feel like uh I don't know. There's something and the office hits on it really well, but there's something that just makes it like, do I really have to go in today? Oh, it's so
2: archaic and so antiquated. Like I used to laugh, like how I just felt like management's like metric for a good employee was like time spent at the desk, you know, like not output or not production, but yeah. like who gets here the earliest and who stays the longest? Not anything to do with who produces the mo- the most, right? So yeah, I I could we could spend the whole episode like bashing bashing like the, the you know the <laughs> the traditional nine to five. But I think I also have a pretty strong bias from having to put in you know uh, being in the workforce or the corporate world for a, a decade and a half, right? Prior to escaping, so yeah, I've got a lot to say about that. Yeah,
0: before you uh, escaped, as you call it, what what were you doing?
2: Yeah, so um I you know so I started college with little to no direction. So what do you do, right, when you have no direction out of high school? It's it's either military or it's college and you know figure it out. I I you know snuck in my 4 or 5 years of fun and a semester and a half of college, right? <laughs> and still had so so I enjoyed all the social aspects of college but had no clue where I was going, you know, with it like as far as um profession or degree and really was like just impatient, you know, like just kind of wanted to get out there and take on the world and start doing things, you know, not learning. Right. Um, if I had a lot of clarity on what I wanted to be, I think it would have felt different. Right. But because of that, it just more felt like this like holding pattern of like, all right, like I'm just
0: here because I don't know what I want to do next. Well it's such a weird thing, you know, you're 17 or 18 years old and you're kind of tasked with answering the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And you're still in high school when you're picking your college major and you're you know, applying for schools and you're like, I don't know, like this seemed interesting to me. I'll chase after that. So what did you end up studying?
2: Yeah. So I was actually studying physical therapy is what I was interested in. And, and then pharma- pharmacy, right? Pharmaceutical. And so as I'm saying, th- again, this is my first year, right? So it's not like I'm, I'm deep into this, but at the same time, as I the thought of like, I I enjoyed learning about this stuff, like the use and abuse of drugs and pharmacy and these things. But then when I like, when you look ahead and I thought about the occupation itself, when you get out of college, I'm like, I'm at a Walgreens, like counting pills and handing, you know, like, you know what I mean? That sounds like a prison sentence, not a, you know, a, a job or an occupation, So, as I look ahead, I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, the reality is I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't have a path. So, for me, um, at that time, I quit college and I entered a trade school um, where I could be in and out in less than a year, you know, and I could start working, you know, enter the workforce, making money, kind of adulting. At the time, I was eager to become an adult. Now, with all that hindsight, right? Like, I wish I had milked and (laughs) <laughs> and delayed adulthood as long as possible, right? So kids, if you're in college, stay there six, seven years, right? Like don't be in a hurry to get out. Uh, but I, I went through a trade school for, it would be very similar like being an electrician, you know, within the like right. telecom world. Um, and then I started traveling. So I grew up in Montana and as beautiful and as amazing as Montana is, I like, can, when people think of it, right? Like as a, a young man kind of wanted to conquer the world there's not a ton of opportunity like job wise, right? It's very rural. So for me, it was like getting out, leaving the state. You know what I mean? Like just like getting out of the state, we hadn't left the state much. So for me, I wanted to get out of, of small rural Montana and go see, you know, Washington, California, you know, like Texas. Like I wanted to get out and see places, much bigger places that were different from where I grew up. So that was kind of what I started doing was started traveling the West, Western states as a contractor and working in these larger cities, you know.
0: Where did you fall into side hustles? And when When did you realize, like, that there's some money that can be made here outside of my actual job?
2: Well, the passion, like, was or the interest was always there, but yeah. the, the execution, right, is what I lacked. So very similar to how people... Would go to like a seminar and and fill that motivation and rah rah feeling and then leave it like that. It doesn't mean you're educated. It just means you're hyped, right? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of me. I was I was interested in real estate, and I, I started reading like Rich Dad Poor Dad and some of these like very well known or traditional books. But the problem was, I didn't really study them, right? And I didn't execute them on like they're fantastic books and have amazing concepts. But I used them as more like they got me hyped up, and then I ran out there really naively as a young twenty-something, right, with a, a high income and, and pretty good credit score, and bought up as much property as I could, not knowing anything, right, about like uh, how to vet the properties and what's a good property and, and what where are we at in the market, you know. So um it looked like a good strong start into like mid like two thousand four two thousand five. And then you know, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners can tell where the story's going, right? Like what happened. 2000. <laughs> I think you're going to end up
0: in 2008 here.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, what happened in 2008 ish is even billionaires, right? Very intelligent guys lost 40, 50 percent of their net worth, right?
0: Yeah. Sure.
2: Due to the economy. So, so that's kind of what happened to me. I got bit um, early on with foreclosures and you know losing houses and and. So I started really young kind of trying to be that entrepreneur on this on the side like with houses and house investing but due to just like not seeing the the you know the recession coming and then also just being young and naive right and not really studying things just diving in um I, I got hit pretty hard um so that was like my first attempt at kind of being an entrepreneur side hustle and it didn't end well right so then we spent the next uh five, six years kind of, licking my wounds and recovering and just getting up, going to work and that same routine and kind of going what's next. And that's where, you know, fast forward um, five, six years, I, I was still had that itch. And at this time, speaking of side hustle, I mean, that's why people say side hustle, like we've done everything. And I say, we like my wife and I, so we, you know, we, we, been on this journey together and we've done all these side hustles. So we like, we flipped cars, we flipped campers, we mystery shopped, right? At what that probably at our lowest point, right? Like <laughs> looking back, we're doing a mystery shop at like Payless Shoe Store, right? Not even like a, a Nike, right? Or a Cool Kicks, like Payless, right? So we're in the middle of a mystery shop and it's like, what are we doing? But we're just trying to make outside money and trying to do something outside of work. And then fortunately, I, I stumbled across like land flipping. Is a side hustle or is kind of land as an asset class. And that's really when we, you know, we grabbed that and and it didn't have the barriers to entry like house investing did or multifamily, single family or multifamily, where you gotta have jobs of money for you know 20% down payments on three, four hundred thousand dollar houses you could buy cheap property at auctions and it just had really low barrier to entries. And I yeah. kind of still had PTSD from the, the crash of housing. So I felt like starting small with something cheap where I wasn't betting the farm would be like a safe way to, to, to try the side hustle again at, within real estate, you know? But I've
0: heard a lot of people doing those type of, you know, side hustles of flipping that you're talking about, flipping a car or a camper, uh, flipping couches. That's a big thing on Craigslist yeah. or OfferUp. The thing about things like that is you know, everybody needs a car, everybody needs a couch. When you're flipping land, who are you selling it to? Yeah, well, now it's a lot
2: different than when we started. When we started, it was like we would buy off of tax online tax auctions. So whenever somebody doesn't pay their property taxes for enough years, three to five years, um, and not all states are the same, but in a lot of states, you know, they they want to. They want to collect those property taxes, obviously, right? So they want sure. to bring it back in the tax roll. So they have auctions and they have online auctions that it's not like the eighties and nineties where you need to go stand at the courthouse steps, right? And hold up your like, you know, hang <laughs> on your paddle and, and, and um, like a uh, bid, like you can just online and, and put your max bid. And it's very similar to eBay, right? So that was our first flips we were like buying a property for $500, um, and then selling it for $2,500. So this was all like we would buy on an auction and then we'd resell on eBay for $2,500. And then we bought one for like $600 and sold for $5,000. You can sell land on
0: eBay? You sell land on eBay. I know wow. it's insane. I've, only, it's, it's like I've seen category. people selling land on the moon on eBay, but I didn't like, know you, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> didn't know you no, could it's, sell It's land.
2: incredible even for us. Although like you know, at the time, like uh, it, it's not change your life money, You know, $2,000, $5,000. At the same time, like... Um, the amount of man hours that went into it, you know, like five or 10 hours and we're yeah. making two grand or five grand, that, that's pretty good hourly rate. And it piqued my interest of like, okay, what if I did this 20, 40 or 50 times a year? You know what I sure. mean? Like, this could be something. So although what we do now is a whole lot different, we, we buy higher value properties and we have agents resell them, you know, a lot more traditional. So we target off-market vacant land. So people who don't have their home cur- or their land currently listed, right? So it's off-market. They're not looking to sell. We target all of these people. Similar to like, if you've ever got a postcard, like we buy ugly houses or, you know, Zillow, Open Door, Offerpad, yeah, all those yeah. companies. Like we do that for land. That's all we do. And we try to buy it way under market value. Um, a very, very small percentage of people respond to our campaigns. And then very few accept our low ball offers, right? (laughs) Which are 25 to 50%, you know? But they're just looking to get
0: some money in their pocket.
2: Yeah, they're they're typically, it's people that have owned for 10 or 20 years. Maybe they bought it and they're like, someday we'll build a cabin or someday we'll retire here.
0: Yeah.
2: And they just never got around to doing what they thought. You know what I mean? With it, or they got older and now they're just paying property taxes. So you're kind of identifying like don't wanters. It's not like a house where people grew up in it. They've got the kids' measurements and heights on the door jam. It's like they probably live in a different state. It's absentee-owned vacant land, right? So oh, they're yeah. very like they're not emotionally attached to it like a house. So that's why for us there is opportunity, right? And um yeah, this yeah, that's, sense that's, what... that's kind of in a nutshell like what we do or how we found land and what we're we're currently doing. And we just we just scaled it, right? Like we started small. And I didn't draw a salary because I, there was all that overlap of working a job. So we just kept pushing profits back in, and snowballing it. You know, we started with like honestly forty five hundred dollars, like of our own money, and we just snowballed that over the years. And after about between two and three years, uh, we were bringing in enough consistently, monthly, that it exceeded my salary. Wow. So at that point, we were able to kind of exit and, and go full-time. With it's it. no
0: longer a side hustle. It's the full hustle. Yeah. yeah. It seems like the barrier of entry is is pretty low, which is, you know, that I think that's what's appealing to, you know, people that are listening to this because real estate, I think that everybody knows you can make some money in real estate, but, you know, you've got to put a lot of money down to get those places. With this, the barrier of entry is pretty low.
2: Yeah. It's the thing is it's, it's really like the, it's the boring, less sexy, like underlooked asset class. Right. So like you turn on HGTV, you're watching flip in this house. People are picking out cabinets, they're remodeling homes. Right. Yeah. That that resonates with people. They get excited about that. Like, but like, could you imagine like turn on your TV and like, people are like, okay, so here's this dirt, right? (laughs) Like we've got a little (laughs) hill over here. Like here's where the driveway will be. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not an attractive asset class. So because of that, it, it's kind of overlooked or dismissed. Yeah. And then the reality is it, it's it's a um, little more challenging to appraise or value because the um, the assessed, like county assessed tax values, there's not always a correlation with market value. So it's not like houses where there's 10 different estimates or 10 different places you can see what a house is worth, or yeah. price. Works. So that's where the opportunity comes in is it's harder to value. And everybody's occupied with houses and house investing. So, land's just kind of this like blue ocean, right? Over here that people aren't interested in because there's all the stigma from decades ago of like land is just this thing that sits and doesn't make money, right? But the reality is, with the internet, you know, with the internet and visibility and reach now, um, it's not the same as it was, I think, in the 80s of like owning land. You know, it's just like any, it could be flipped, just like you said, like a couch or
0: like anything. Well, but land shows up on Zillow, which I think is really interesting.
2: Yeah. And there's a number of platforms people don't realize dedicated just to land. Like there's landsofamerica.com, landwatch.com, right? Like in Zillow, you can search land only. So yeah, I mean, these are Zillow, right? That's a huge platform, huge reach. So it's it's just a niche that people don't realize, you know, yeah. or aren't aware of. So we were fortunate to come across it. And then, then when we did it, it was just like, okay, how can we like, make this a system right how can we have like a re- repeatable predictable revenue where this isn't like a one-off success yeah and then as we started like going after bigger deals what we realized is that most people were doing this focusing on the small cheap stuff because all of like the courses and gurus and like all the things being taught or shared like many courses about this we're, we're targeting like cheap small parcels and after we started doing a high number of those, we realized like either like we kind of like hit our limit of how many we could handle transaction wise. So my wife and I um, were like, OK, to make more money, we either to do more transactions or bigger transactions. Yeah. Right. So as we, we decided to start going after bigger transactions, now that we had more capital to work with, we realized that very few of these people were getting the same marketing. That are are the lower value properties we're getting. So you know what I mean. Is there was surprisingly there was less competition at the higher values, and I assume because one, like the courses weren't steering people there, and two, a lot of people didn't have the capital, right? Like to buy a two hundred thousand dollar property for a hundred thousand, right? You'd need a hundred thousand cash, right? So that's the other reason that prevented it. So a lot of people. So yeah, as, as we just kind of like like anybody does with anything, like you have like these growing pains, right? And these scaling points. So you solve your own problems. And then eventually, as we were doing this, I was in communities, I was in forums. So I would like, I would see beginners start up and they would post these beginner questions. And then I would answer them and I would help them. And then they would say, hey, could I jump on a call with you? And I just started helping people. And then eventually they would, you know, they would we would help them like execute on marketing and then they'd get a deal. And then they'd be like, hey, well, This is awesome. You know, I found this $120,000 property for $50,000. And I'm like, fantastic. You know, and they're like, well, I don't have $50,000. Would you (laughs) you be willing to partner with me on it? And then we'll split profits. And it kind of like organically went from just being something I was doing, like paying it forward, helping people to where, you know, fast forward three, four years now. And we have like an education and training company. And then we co founded and have a partner in this business. Where we fund other students and people's deals, right? Because that's kind of the limiting thing when people are starting a side hustle is capital, right? Sure. You're really like hamstrung by how much of your own money you have to work with, just like we were. And it took us years to kind of crack that nut and find outside money. Um, so now that that's something we do, where we'll train people up, and then if they want a partner, we'll partner. If they got a rich uncle? Hey, you know, handle everything yourself, right? And just use our tactics but that's I kind go- of where we're at today with it, but it's fast forward. It's a decade, right? Like nine or 10 years into this. Yeah. So it's been a long journey, but 10 years ago, I was just a guy, you know, driving to work, listening to podcasts, you know, and like, just really like, just feeling like, uh, unfulfilled and unhappy and knowing I had a lot of potential, but like not knowing how to you know what I mean? Not knowing an avenue to take or what to do to escape that job. Cause I was like, I'm in my mid thirties at this point. And I'm like, man, I'm going to like, maybe there's nothing special about me. Maybe I'm going to have the same path as everybody else where it's like nine to five till I'm 65. Right. Right. So I, I empathize with that when I talk to people now, cause I can remember being there. I very much remember being there, you know, like, like going what's next or how do I get out of this? Or like, you know what I mean? I'm not passionate about this. Like yeah. this isn't in alignment with who I am, right? As a person or as an entrepreneur or my potential. So that's really where I resonate with people. It's not just land. And land's just like the asset class or the avenue we took. Yeah. Although I'm a land evangelist and I'm a land fanatic, it's more about like freeing people of their jobs or helping people achieve potential so that they can kind of live life on their terms, you know what I mean? And And yeah. not be like, that's, it's just soul crushing to have to like, you get off work on Friday, by Saturday, you're dreading Monday, Monday comes, right? Like, um ironically, like, well, not ironically, but like, I actually learned this this year that the most heart attacks occur on Mondays and Monday mornings, right? And so it's, it's so interesting, right? Like everybody dreads Mondays, dreads meetings, and, and there's like evidence to support and show that, that like, it literally raises people's like, Heart rate, right, and blood pressure. Like Mondays, do that. So I, I like I, I'm just very passionate about like helping people try to find something outside of work, like find a community, find a group of like-minded entrepreneurs that allow them to kind of scratch that itch. And then I also realize there's sometimes there's a need for a lot of overlap, you know, and that I I try to not tell people like burn the ships, quit your job, start this. It's very yeah, much yeah. sometimes unless you have a lot of means a lot of capital, there has to be overlap, right? But freeing people of jobs is like, that's my calling. That's my mission is like, how can I help people that, that if you're not curing cancer and you don't absolutely love what you're doing, if we're all honest with ourselves, a lot of us would, would, if if we won the lottery, right, we're not going to get up and go to work the next day. You know what I mean? It's because we're not passionate about what we're doing.
0: So for someone who is in that you know, proverbial rat race, they're working the nine to five until they're 65, what can they do right now to just maybe start taking those steps towards what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, well, I have like, a, so what I did, I created a free challenge because when I started, everything was paid, right? Like everything was, if I had questions or I emailed somebody like, you got to buy the course, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I thought if I ever get in a position of educating Um, I want to give people like without because it took me several months, Chris, of like Googling and watching YouTube videos, like trying to get familiar with land. And then also like I was very skeptical and needed proof of concept. Right. So I'm it took me a long time, almost like a year of analysis paralysis of getting started. So I'm like, okay, if when I if I ever do this education thing, like I want to give somebody a free like kind of like an intro class. So I have, if you go to travisking.com, I have a free challenge. That's a seven day, hundred percent free challenge. And it's kind of like through seven days, um, each session is like anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour where you're really getting oriented with the concept and the idea. And over the course of seven days, you have a feel for me. And you're also familiar with land without having to, you know, get out your your wallet, right. And, And buy a course or anything. So that's probably the best like starting point, you know, for people. and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 seven customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
0: I love that your last name is King and you're like, you're the king of land flipping, right?
2: i'm the yeah the land right that land guy or the land guy right? you know you're the yeah. land flipping king it's your last well, name man when i going back like to tie in like so much of what you do and your guests and wrestling like i'm like what well, goes back to being a kid right like i never wanted sure. to be the land guy right it was like when i was a kid um and i thought i was gonna be a professional kickball player or a professional dodgeball player but Once I realized about, you know, fourth, fifth grade that you can't go pro, (laughs) right. It became this long winding journey of like, well, okay, maybe I'll be in the MLB or NBA. And then turns out, you know, the NBA's not hurting for five foot 10 slow white guys. Right. So the NBA thing didn't work out. Um, So that, I think that's like the message too to people. Like some people have a they know exactly what they want to be, yep. right? Some people do. I didn't have that. And that was for me why it was such a long winding road. I just knew that that the path everybody else was taking didn't feel like it was for me. And, it, and I kept having this nagging desire
1: yeah. to do something
2: outside of my job, right? But I never had that, like, you know, I want to be a doctor when I grow up or a veterinarian or whatever, right? Like um, I might've had ideas of being things, but it was like,
0: I wasn't really willing to lay out a path and put it in the work. You know what I'm yeah. saying? What, what you're really talking about here is arbitrage. And I think that that's exciting, right? Like buying the baseball card for a dollar, finding out it's worth $10, buying the concert tickets for face value at a hundred, knowing you can resell them for 500 and doing this at scale.
2: Well, you know, what's cool right now. Here's what's really funny. So I've got three boys right? And that's a big part of this is not just like having a side hustle, but building a lifestyle business, you know? So from the beginning, the goal was like, as I was traveling and having to go out of town for work, it was like, I don't want to fit family in around my job, right? It's like, I if I could design the perfect company or job or business, it would be like, it would fit in around <laughs> my family, right? Around oh, yeah. my marriage and around my, my kids. And So that was a big part of like the urgency of making something work was like when I started to go out of town, you know, several years ago, and it was like, I would miss my wife, I would miss my boys. At the time we had two, we wanted to have another. And it was just like, I felt like I was leaving my wife alone, right? Like doing all the heavy lifting and I I missed them all. And it was just like, it was this job that was, I felt like keeping me from that, right? So like through arbitrage, you're right. The arbitrage of land flipping, it can be arbitrage with anything. The cool thing is fast forward to today and this week my boys so I've got a 14 year old, a 12 year old and an 8 year old, okay? My boys the older two they've been buying this energy drink prime, right? They've been buying prime by the yeah, case. Yeah, Logan
0: Paul's energy drink.
2: Logan Paul's energy drink they've been buying it for a buck 89 a bottle by the case and taking it to school and selling it for 5 to 7 dollars a bottle. Okay? So like this is like on their own, right? It's really cool to see them like you know kind of be little entrepreneurs yeah. and, and that arbitrage buy by the case, sell by the bottle, right? So it's it's really cool to see them like load up their backpacks before school <laughs> to go to go push their prime right product. So it it just shows though like you the asset class or the item or or the arbitrage, whatever you're doing, it doesn't really matter as long as it's legal. Right. Like it doesn't matter, but it's just like that desire, you know, of of recognizing that opportunity and then capitalizing on it, you know, Um, I think it's at any
0: age. Right. And It's difficult because people always hear this advice of like, Oh, just follow your passion. Just do what you're passionate about. And what's hard about that is not everybody knows what they're passionate about. Yeah. what do you say to somebody who's trying to find their passion
2: i say like so for me when i was in second grade it was wwe that was my passion i love like, it so who like, were your guys I, I, well my guy was hulk hogan and then it was the ultimate warrior right it was it. you know hulk hogan ultimate warrior and, and my first playground like scrap came from wwe right so like i'm on the playground and i'm talking with my buddy And we're arguing kind of about like, he's like, yeah, the ultimate warrior is going to like be way better than Hulk Hogan. This is like second grade or something. And I'm like, no way. Hogan's Hogan's like a legend. And then this other kid comes over and he's like, you guys know that wrestling's fake. Right. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? But now looking back, he had all these older brothers, you know what I mean? So he's like, yeah, that's all like fake. He's like, do you really think the refs are like that dumb or blind? And we're both like, like, I mean, this ended up in being like a scrap, like, dude, like, you know, wash your mouth out. Like, how dare you say that? Right. Like this, this is blasphemy. Right. So I, at at second grade, I wanted to be a, you know, probably a WWE wrestler. I come home and talk to my mom and grandma who we watch wrestling together. And I'm like, is wrestling fake? Right. And then they're like, and I'm like, I just felt crushed. Right. So I'm like, (laughs) there go my dream. Well, I don't want to be a WWE anymore. Right. If it's like scripted. And like I said, fast forward, then it was MLB Then it was NBA. So like, I didn't have anything that for me, I was passionate, you know what I mean? About, so I think you can't force something, Some you can't force something. What I realized later that I was passionate about was freedom, like in like autonomy, meaning like, yeah. you know, like time autonomy and money. Like I wanted to have enough disposable money to do anything I want at any time, like with With my family, right? I want to take the kids to an NBA game, to the Pro Bowl. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to be able to take them to anything that sounds like a great idea and not have to operate from that cost mentality. Like, so I think like financial freedom is one piece. And then time freedom, like, I want to be time rich. For me, that's what it started with was like more like, not like I want to make all this money. It was like, I want to be time rich. You know what I mean? I want to be able to, to, take my kids and see every one of their baseball games, their basketball games. I don't want to miss this stuff. I want to be present and I want to be a participant in this whole parenthood thing, right? Yeah. Like just a spectator who you hear from all these other people after their kids are raised, they're like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish I had been there, but I was traveling. So I was, you know, do a lot of introspection and kind of took self-inventory and realized like, hey, this, there's some urgency here. I need to change things so that I can be present um, but but I never had a passion. It wasn't even like when I found land, I was like, Oh, I'm passionate about this. It's more like this is the asset class or the avenue that can help me accomplish time freedom and financial freedom. you saw an opportunity I can, that. I can do the things I care about, right? Like our like my own purpose, right? Like those things. So sometimes the they do what you love and the money will follow. Like I feel like maybe the second business can be what you love. But let's get the financial freedom part taken care of first. Mm. You know what I mean? Let's do something that profits enough that you have the flexibility to have all that time freedom. You know, so I I can't tell somebody how to find their passion. Because for me, I can't even say, although I'm passionate about it now, because it changed our life, land. It's not that I'm in love with land, right? I just, the results that it bring and the life it allows us to live, then all the students and all the people we've helped with, It's helped us accomplish that. And then people can really do with that, that financial freedom, that money and that time, they can do what they're passionate about. Um, So as somebody who never had that thing, they were passionate about, um, I could say, yeah, don't, don't force it. Don't, you know, don't think you have to choose something. Um, But if you feel unfulfilled, man, that's probably like inner potential trying to like manifest itself, right? Somehow it doesn't know how. Yeah, right? it doesn't know how, but it's there. Right. So you don't have, but you, you got to pick something that's going to help you achieve your goals. Right. But, but uh, yeah. yeah, I was that kid who never had that. I still, there's kids I look back and I can remember sitting in the circle in second grade and, and, you know, uh, the kids like, I want to be a veterinarian. I want to be a doctor. And I look now and some of those kids, they are literally like veterinarians and doctors. Wow. They do, right. From second grade. I didn't have that. Right. Like I said, yeah. I'm like I want to be Paul Hogan or I want to be like Jose Canseco,
0: you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Canseco. I was a I was a big Oakland A's fan back then. Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, the Bash Brothers. The Bash Brothers, yeah. Oh god. So Travis, what was your best land flip, and what was your worst one, and what's the biggest lesson you took of the two?
2: Yeah, one of our our worst ones was surprising. Like it had paved road access, looked like a great you know, great, um, property right off the paved road, um, paved road in a meadow, like looked beautiful. what state right? was this, this in? This was early on. There was cows like pastured on it when we looked at it. And, but I was like earlier and, and kind of didn't know all my due diligence to do what I didn't realize is it was in a flood zone. And what right? state was so, this in? Um, this is in, this was in Yavapai County in Arizona, the state of Arizona, Northern, Northern Arizona, Yavapai County. And it was in a flood zone. And I didn't know it was in a flood zone because I didn't know to look for flood zones. Right. So I fortunately, we just bought it so stupid cheap that we were able to bail on it. I think we made a hundred dollars or something. Right. Like, so we didn't, lose money on it but it sat for for like nine months and i'd have people go out there and they're like it's covered in water right and then they would text me a picture and then i realized what happened it was in a flood zone right mm. but i didn't know because i was just getting started and i didn't have the education that told me to look at there softwares you can use now that we use to to check if it's in wetlands or a flood zone right so like those are some of the kind of landmines or gotchas. You know, that can happen.
0: Yeah. And then
2: like some of the, the better or best deals, um, subdividing, I would say, like we we buy properties and then we don't put in like roads or sidewalks or power or, we don't develop, like we literally just split it up, right? So it's not unheard of. Like one of the deals we just partnered with the student on, we we it was worth 108. We partnered with him, he bought it for 50. We put up the capital. Bought it for 50, and then we subdivide it into five. It was a 14-acre property. We subdivide it into five. Just mm. by that act of subdivider splitting parcels, um, it forces appreciation. Like it literally adds value, you know, because um, a smaller size lot is worth more per square foot or per acre than a larger lot. Mm. So we added $122,000 of appreciation with a twelve thousand dollar subdivide we paid a surveyor right they go out there they survey it like we paid a land consultant that filed the paperwork so we didn't do much other than draw some lines on the map of how we wanted it right and we partnered with the student on this and we forced one hundred twenty-two thousand of appreciation and it was a situation it was already buy for 50 it was already worth 108 but then it was worth 230 after we subdivided it right so it was buy for 50 put 12 grand into it, then it was worth 230. So those type of deals like are very realistic. You know, Um, like our student, he had the money, but he's like, didn't want to tie up his money. So he said, Hey, let's partner on this. Right. So we do those. And then something that's real exciting. I like to do, we love to do like lakeside lot flips. We like to find like waterfront properties like in Florida. Right. And some, you know, they just make for great drone videos and pictures and, you know, so waterfront flips are, pretty consistent. We could have like six figures per flip. Wow. Like flipping a, um, a waterfront property by bringing in, you know, some cleaning up the lot a little bit, having it cleared, getting drone videos, you know, some great pictures. Um, and yeah, so those are probably the, there's guys that do this like with massive Texas ranches. like So there's arbitrage up to the, you could do this at the two or $3 million level. We don't, right? Because we're operating within our own capital. Mm-hmm. and because i don't like risk right so so we but the reality is the arbitrage is available at you know $100 $1000 lots up to 2 or 3 million dollar properties depending what your capital or means are or your
0: your comfort with risk right, um, right. so if someone yeah, wants to, to learn more about this is travisking.com the best place to go check this out
2: yeah, travisking.com is a great place to go. It's kind of the hub from there. They can check out like our free challenge or a course that we have. We have an informational webinar. Um, you know,
0: that's probably the best spot. I think what's so exciting about this is whether it's land flipping or it's couch cars, whatever, I think there's a lot of people that are excited about the idea of like, even if it's just like 50 bucks, a 100 bucks, like having that extra money on the side that's yours is exciting
2: that's what it started for us. It was kind of like Disneyland money. Like we, and the reality is sometimes your goals and your thinking is limited by your current means. So even uh-huh. like our goals early on were very small because I was a small thing. Like, you know what I mean? I didn't have a lot of capital to think with, so to speak. Right. And now that you realize what's available, it's more about like, yeah, what, you know, what, what are your goals, right? It's really like what somebody's goals are, but you can take it as far as you want and it can become a seven figure empire, or you could just go, okay, I just want to build like a second income on the side. That's the beauty of this niche is I think there's the flexibility to take it wherever you want. For us, it started with kind of like you're saying like, Hey, let's vacation money. Right. And, and then kind of that, that side money. So, um, but yeah, you can really, people can take it wherever they want, but it's, I, I believe it's kind of the holy grail, you know, of, of side hustles. So I since I can't be, you know, um, I can't be that Sergeant Slaughter or Hulk Hogan, or I can't be that wrestler right when I wanted to grow up. Like I guess I'll settle for the land flipper. I don't I don't think it makes for as good of an uh, intro, you know, song to the ring, but,
0: but I don't it, know, it's worked for us, right? The Repo Man was a character, so maybe the Land Flipper could be a character. Yeah, like
2: like a character. Yeah, I still remember actually when I was in when I was twelve, my dad took me to a a wrestling match, and it was this was like ninety, I want to say ninety two, okay. And my dad took me to Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> Slaughter was there, and, and Hack wow. saw Jim Duggan, you know, yeah. and. I still remember like meeting him as like a 12-year-old kid, like this monster of a man, you know, um, these guys you'd watch on TV. So yeah, I've always enjoyed that. So I thought it was so cool with your show and your guests and stuff, right? Like there's just, um, it's just really neat. Everybody has their own story, right? Yeah. And some people, you feel more ordinary than extraordinary, but at the same time, like um, there's just a different path for for everybody. So it's kind of cool when they all like, um, converge, right. And we're all able to sync
0: up and and share our, share our own paths. And Travis, I think that your story is really interesting and what you're doing now is it's it's incredible. So congratulations on everything that you've built here. And it's been, it's been a great conversation. And look, I end every conversation talking about gratitude because that's such an important part of my life. So what are three things in your life, Travis, that you're grateful for right now? You know, I'm grateful, one, for my my wife,
2: my marriage. So, you know, we've, it's Valentine's Day, right? Today, when, when we're recording this, you know, and we're going on, you know, 17 years here, right? And and so, I'm, I'm grateful for my marriage, my relationship, but also, so we've, uh, my wife's helped me from the start with our businesses, right? So, it, it brings another level of, like, um, just to the relationship, you know, of the trust you place in each other, the dependency you place in each other of running a business or companies together, right? It obviously like introduces new challenges, right? Um, so I just have a different level of respect for my my wife than just our marriage because we're running our business together, right? And then all I've put on her and how she's risen kind of to the the challenge and, and keeps me keeps me on point and on track. Right. So I think one marriage and then two, like family, like the kids, just absolute blessing, you know, for me to, to kind of go from like probably young, egotistical, you know, vain 20 something to like getting married and having kids where it really like you kind of become the frame instead of the picture. Mm. And it's a role I'm super comfortable. And I just love like, you know, my boys and our kids, and it's just so exciting to now, like, to, to go to their sporting events and to to just see them grow up and, you know, their own character develop and these things. So I'm super blessed and grateful that they're, one, they're, they're healthy and that two, just that they're they're thriving and they're becoming their own people, right? And they they have their own ambitions, right? And they're going out, like we, we talked about, they're hustling too, right? So it, it's really good to um, just to be in this place, right? Because I never like life rewind 20 years or whatever you know Uh, i'm just just thrilled to be where we're at in life but it's again it's like a life we've architected and built right so i'm incredibly grateful but it wasn't by accident you know like the companies we have and the time we have to be with the kids and the family was from that the early days of pain right of having to build something that would allow us to do that so yeah definitely the my wife the kids and, and then last thing is i think the the cool thing is, as I help people, um, I started out training and just helping people very organic one by one. We didn't build a website. We didn't try to sell any courses. I just helped people. And as I would get people results, that would lead to referrals, right? And then that would lead to joint venturing and partnering. And it very organically over the last two or three years, like has built, you know what I mean? It's really grown with no paid ads, nothing, right? To this point. Mm -hmm. Um, everything has been organic, you know? And so we have like this whole community of people now that are, you know, that are land and land investors and entrepreneurs that it all just started out just staying, you know, staying authentic and not, you know, not saying, okay, I'm going to launch a course or go on stage or be a guru. It's like, I'm just going to be me and we're going to help people one at a time. And I've done over a thousand one-on-one Zoom calls in the last two years, like fired up the computer and one on one like this right like help people.
0: Yeah.
2: So it's really fun. I feel really blessed and I'm really thankful for the community that we've built because as I help people one on one one at a time, the community over the years has become a byproduct, like a positive byproduct of that, not something I thought of developing or building a community just helping enough people, right? With time they'd refer others. So I'm really thankful for that right now too because instead of just feeling like you're you're selling courses or selling education, Like you're actually building relationships and people stick around and are part of your community, you know, instead of just buying a course and and you never hear from them. Right. So yeah, community is probably the last thing. And that's this year what we're focusing on is, is helping, you know, helping people within the
0: community. I love that. Three great things. And if people want to find out more, like we said, it's travisking.com and Travis, thank you so much. Absolutely. I appreciate you, Chris. Um, What a blast, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Of course, thank you to Travis King as well for being with us. Go check out his website, travisking.com. Get on that side hustle. Then you can make that side hustle the hustle hustle. I know you've got it in you. Ralph Waldo Emerson always has such amazing words. I think I've shared more quotes from him than anybody else on the podcast. And here's another one for you. You cannot do kindness too soon, for you never know how soon it will be too late. Be great. Be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.